There's a debate that pops up from time to time about whether or not the German people voted Hitler into power. If you look at elections a certain way, there is some truth to the idea that the people's voting power is responsible for the Hitler takeover. The best case to be made comes from the July Reichstag elections of 1932. We covered these elections in the last episode, so go back and take a listen if you haven't already. In these elections, the Nazis would reach their electoral zenith. They did better by a large margin, mind you, than any other political party. They had the most seats in German parliament. Just a few years prior to this, the Nazis were a splinter political party. Now, they were the country's most vigorous political movement. This was a reality that demanded that German President Paul von Hindenburg place Hitler and other Nazis in high-ranking positions. While yes, he did have discretion in this choice, the German people had spoken their opinion. Meanwhile, Hitler had to make some decisions of his own about how he would proceed following the July elections. While they were a successful showing for the Nazis, the results were not completely favorable. They had failed to secure a majority of Reichstag seats. This ensured that they would need to enter coalitions with other political parties to govern Germany. This meant compromises on their core values and policy preferences to appease those they were in coalition with. Hitler and the Nazis wanted nothing other than complete control to see their vision of Germany come to fruition. Coalitions wouldn't be necessary, of course, if Hitler was made chancellor and given the weapon of the emergency decree. Hindenburg and Chancellor Franz von Papen, and before him Heinrich Brüning, had been governing Germany without the Reichstag for quite some time. Hitler wanted this same power. This, he decided, is what he would demand, nothing less and he would be unwavering in this decision. With Hitler having made up his mind and with the Nazis in a position of leverage, all seemed like it was heading in the right direction. This quickly changed, however. In fact, just a few months later, the Nazis would be in a very much different position. By the end of 1932, they would be on the brink of irrelevancy, in a place of little hope with few prospects for attaining power. The first sign of bad news would come when the Nazis learned what Hindenburg thought of making Hitler chancellor. He was opposed. Welcome to the Points of No Return in History. My name is Dave Knoll. Last week, we looked at the success of the Nazi party at the July 1932 Reichstag elections. This week, we will explore the movement's breakdown that coming fall. Remember, we are heading towards Hitler becoming chancellor and how it almost didn't happen. This week will make it clear how the chancellorship almost slipped away from Hitler. Hitler began his plan of demanding the chancellorship. He first met with Kurt von Schleicher to make his demands known. We first met Schleicher in last week's episode. He was the influential intermediary between the German government and the military. He had worked his way up the political chain as part of his plan to bring about a more authoritarian and powerful German government. He thought Hitler would be useful in this plan. The meeting between Hitler and Schleicher took place on August 6th near Berlin. Schleicher cautioned Hitler about Hindenburg. He himself seemed like he was open about Hitler as chancellor. 
However, he made it clear that the German president would not necessarily be amenable to the idea, a position that was confirmed by Hindenburg when Schleicher asked. He was opposed. Current Chancellor Franz von Papen also talked to Hindenburg about Hitler. At their meeting on August 10th, the president turned down Papen just like he turned down Schleicher. Again, he was opposed. Hindenburg was against appointing Hitler chancellor for a few reasons, reasons that would become known over the course of the fall of 1932, when he was asked many times about the idea. He was worried about the anti-democratic nature of Hitler and the Nazis, that they wouldn't work well with other political parties. He also looked down on Hitler because of his background. He had lived in poverty and was merely a corporal during World War I. Following the meeting, Hitler returned to Bavaria, frustrated by his time in Berlin. Still, Hindenburg had not made his official decision. A couple days later, Nazi paramilitary leader Ernst Rahm saw Schleicher and Papen. Rahm told Hitler to return to Berlin because Hindenburg was about to decide what to do. The prospect of a Hitler chancellorship still seemed unlikely, Rahm said. That night, Hitler paced back and forth while at Goebbels' house just outside Berlin. He was nervous about Hindenburg's decision. The next day, August 13th, would prove to be the day that began a downward spiral for the Nazi movement. Hitler met with Schleicher, then Papen, and finally Hindenburg. Both Schleicher and Papen reiterated that Hindenburg would not do what he demanded, that is, make him chancellor. Still, they did offer him an opportunity, a partnership in establishing authoritarian rule in place of the Weimar Constitution. Hitler, however, wanted no part of this partnership, even if Papen did suggest that at some time down the road more power was a possibility. This would be true if he were to accept the offer and be part of the proposed cabinet. However, he had his unwavering sights set on uncompromised Nazi rule. There was no time to waste. At his meeting with Hindenburg that afternoon, Hitler did not make any progress towards his goal of the chancellorship. Hindenburg felt he would not be able to live with himself should he give Hitler power. He worried that the Nazis would become dictators. Again, and most officially, he was opposed. Hitler and the Nazis were incensed. The offers Hitler received were demeaning. Hitler made a pronouncement upon leaving the meeting. The Nazis would fight back ferociously, and they might take out Hindenburg along the way. Soon, they would have an opportunity to fight back, or at least disrupt the Weimar government. They took full advantage of it. As Chancellor Franz von Papen entered the Reichstag on September 12th, he was resolute on his goal for that day, dissolve the current German parliament. This was part of a larger plan. At this time, Germany continued to be in a state of crisis. The government was not functioning, the country was polarized, and it was struggling economically. Papen's plan was to dissolve the Reichstag and have Hindenburg proclaim the ending of parliamentary elections. Then they would take care of Germany's problems without the dysfunctional and polarized Reichstag getting in the way. Papen, however, would have a much different day than he had anticipated. The session started. Before Papen could even speak, the communists, who were upset about recent changes in German economic policy, 
put forth a no-confidence motion in the government. No Reichstag member objected. These were surprising developments, and the Nazis successfully called for a pause in the proceedings. They used this time to strategize. Hitler wanted to take full advantage of this chance that was thrown in his lap to humiliate Papen in the Weimar government. He was at a local hotel in Berlin, and Nazi officials informed him of the developments and asked him what to do. He said to vote in agreement with the communist motion. Meanwhile, Papen was scrambling. He had not brought the dissolution order with him. It was a physical piece of paper which Hindenburg had signed, and he needed it so he could implement it before the Reichstag could vote no confidence in his government. If he failed in this, there would be elections, something he and Hindenburg wanted to avoid. While in adjournment, he ordered an aide to retrieve it from the Reich Chancellery. Papen, however, would not be able to salvage the situation. Upon resumption of the parliamentary session, Reichstag president and prominent Nazi official Hermann Goering immediately called for the vote. And he neglected Papen. As soon as he stood, Papen's arm was in the air to get Goering's attention. Papen attempted to talk. Meanwhile, Goering wouldn't even look at him. Goering then made the following statement, quote, No opposition to giving precedence to the motions for revoking the last emergency decree and declaring no confidence in the government having reached my desk. I shall therefore now put these motions to the House. End quote. Papen walked up to Goering's desk where he slammed the dissolution order. Then Papen and his government cabinet departed from the room. Still, Goering proceeded with the vote. Winning by near 500 votes, the Reichstag voted no confidence in the government. Goering proclaimed the vote total, and the room cheered. Disingenuously, Goering clarified that Papen was not allowed to speak because the vote had started, and he said that the dissolution order, which he read aloud, had no bearing because the Reichstag had voted against the government. The whole episode brought a lot of happiness to Hitler. Papen embarrassed, the Weimar system dysfunction, the Nazi agitation, these were things that he and the Nazis had been working for. The Papen cabinet gave up its desire to get rid of elections. Given the chain of events, the Weimar constitution would demand new Reichstag elections. The Papen cabinet didn't go against the constitution. The Reichstag debacle they just went through made it difficult for them to push through something controversial there would be an election on November 6th. Hitler and the Nazis would gear up for another election campaign. It would be a chance to put more pressure on Hindenburg to give in to their demands and to make Hitler Chancellor of the Reich. Campaigning for an election can be very tiring. Think about all the work that goes into traveling, organizing rallies, and analyzing trends, among other things. In the modern-day American context, even voters grow tired. I, for one, can attest to this. The Nazis created the image of being tireless campaigners. They seemed to have endless energy and seemed to attract limitless crowds. They wanted to be perceived this way. However, as they would soon find out, even they began to lose steam. On October 6th in Munich, Hitler told his propaganda leaders, quote, The battle can commence now. In four weeks, we shall be the victors. End quote. The Nazis sharpened their focus for the Reichstag election campaign in the fall of 1932. Quote, 
down with the reaction, power to Hitler, a Nazi propaganda message read. The campaign would not go as well as previous ones had gone that year, however. 1932 had been a year full of politicking, and the energy and resources for another round were waning. The crowd had also diminished for the Nazi campaign events. Hitler got back in the airplane for his, quote, flight over Germany, or Deutschlandflug, where he would some days make three separate talks, but the audiences had shrunk. Given these signals of fatigue, that is, fewer resources and a stagnation of enthusiasm, some Nazi officials privately worried the election might be a disappointment. Indeed, the election on November 6th did not go well for the Nazis. They lost 35 seats and fell from 37% to 33% of the total vote in comparison to the elections of July 31st. It looked like the momentum the party had been building had stalled, and the concern that their movement had topped out was now a seeming reality. Who was to blame for these poor results? Some pointed to the party's appeals to labor and other leftward shifts. During the campaign, they did focus their attacks on the conservative Papin, in addition to showing support for a labor strike. Others were concerned that it was a bad look for Hitler to have refused the offers of Hindenburg and Papin to be part of the government. Hitler and the Nazis were in a bind. They were losing ground at the polls, and their momentum had stalled. Meanwhile, just as the Nazis were in a bind, Hindenburg and his government were also in a frustrating situation. The latest Reichstag elections gave them no clarity on how to move forward. The Reichstag remained polarized, and it did not respect the Papin government. An answer to the predicament was hard to find. In this dilemma, Hindenburg would try a new chancellor. Would Hindenburg consider Hitler for the position? If you're listening and you're in America, you probably have been frustrated at one time or another at the inability of Congress to come together and get anything done. As a matter of fact, no matter what part of the world you're from, you most likely have had a similar thought about your own government. In the fall of 1932, German Chancellor Franz von Papen was extremely frustrated by this reality in his own government. In large part because of this, his days as chancellor were running out. Reichstag elections, including the one on November 6th, never gave Papen a majority to work with. In fact, the inability of the Reichstag to form a ruling coalition led to the breakup of the Papen cabinet on November 17th. Papen was never able to garner support from Germany's parliament. For example, just one day before the breakup of the Papen cabinet, two political parties told Papen they would not participate with the government led by him. Nazi stubbornness was another reason Papen was not able to get the government to govern. One possible majority coalition was the Nazis with other center or right-leaning parties. This coalition would have the numbers to come together and govern Germany. However, Hitler remained convinced to not join coalitions with other political parties. He stayed this way despite their interests to join forces. Papen, however, tried to save his job. He felt he had an answer to the deadlock in German government. He asked Hindenburg to do something drastic, to dismiss the Reichstag, to delay the elections that would come from such a move indefinitely, and proclaim that Germany was in a state of emergency. 
Papin also wanted the power of emergency decree. This was a totalitarian proposal that broke the Weimar Constitution, specifically the indefinite delay of Reichstag elections. This plan would risk civil war. At least Schleicher and others thought as much. There was also concern that the German army could not withstand the forces of the Nazis and the communists in such a scenario. Meanwhile, Schleicher had been making moves to improve his position within German government. He talked with Hindenburg about the Papen idea to proclaim that Germany was in a state of emergency. He persuasively denounced the plan, showing the Reich president analysis from the army that predicted a German defeat at the hands of the communists and Nazis. This was enough to convince Hindenburg that a change of chancellor was necessary. He had his own misgivings about Papen's plan. Schleicher's arguments sealed this opinion. Hindenburg decided that he had to dismiss Papen. He fired him in early December. Would Hindenburg consider Hitler for the open position? Uh, Not likely. There had already been renewed negotiations in November. At these negotiations, Hindenburg was not quite as stern as he had been in August. However, he was still against the idea of a Hitler chancellorship. He was still opposed. Instead, Hindenburg made Schleicher chancellor. It was now up to Schleicher to lead Germany out of its political gridlock. Once in power, Schleicher checked with Hitler to see if he was any more amenable to working with the new government. Hitler was as stubborn as he had always been and refused to cooperate. The Nazis were in a tough spot. Hitler seemed as far away from his goals as he had ever been. Part of this, of course, was Hitler's own fault. He refused any compromise offered to him. Still, whether you want to blame Hitler or not, the Nazis were on a downward trend. And new Chancellor Schleicher would not be any better than Papen was for their hopes and goals. Things would only get worse. Gregor Strasser was a critical Nazi official. He was an efficient organizer and instrumental in this role for the Nazi party. In many ways, he was second most important in the Nazi hierarchy. The new German Chancellor, Kurt von Schleicher, wanted to work with Strasser. He did not expect that he would gain Hitler's support, so he turned to the second most important official, hoping he would carry along a big slice of the Nazi movement with him. Unfortunately for Hitler, this would threaten a major divide in the party. Schleicher presented Strasser a chance to take real power. Most significantly, he was proposed the vice-chancellorship. Other Nazi positions in the government were implied. On December 5th, Hitler and Strasser confronted one another. Strasser argued that the Nazis should go along with Schleicher's deal. He felt the Nazis were losing their chance for power. The chancellorship at that moment was not a realistic possibility. They should act while they still had a chance for something real. Hitler shouted back that he would not accept the deal. He would not compromise his demands. On December 7th, they confronted each other again. Hitler attacked Strasser and vice versa. When Hitler called Strasser subversive, he defended himself. Quote, My plan is to prevent a further deterioration of the party, not to bring it about, he said. Strasser was furious and threw the door closed as he left. Strasser decided to resign coming to understand that he was unlikely to successfully take leadership of the Nazi party away from Hitler. He let everyone know on December 8th. It was devastating news for the Nazis and had the potential to break up the party. 
Strasser had many Nazi followers, and his actions held a lot of weight. The Nazis were in trouble. Hitler said, quote, If the party falls apart, I'll finish myself off with a pistol within three minutes. End quote. 1932 had started out well for the Nazis. Hitler ran against Hindenburg for president and forced a runoff. He didn't win the runoff, but he improved his share of the vote. Then, in Reichstag elections on July 31st, the Nazis won by a large margin and sent the most representatives to parliament of any political party. At this point, Hitler felt Hindenburg should appoint him chancellor because of this success. This all changed after their peak of the July 31st Reichstag elections. From then on, there were only concerning events. Hindenburg refused to appoint Hitler as chancellor. They lost their momentum at the polls, and their second most important official resigned, threatening a split in the party. By December of 1932, the future seemed bleak for the Nazis. Had they lost their chance to implement their vision for Germany? Did Hitler make a mistake passing up on the opportunities that were offered to him? The Nazis were left asking themselves these questions. It's easy to look back at the history of what happened in Nazi Germany and conclude that the whole thing was inevitable. That the depression and the dysfunctional Weimar Republic doomed Germany to its fascist fate. This perspective, however, makes us forget the feeling at the time that the movement could have fallen apart. One newspaper lead put it this way, quote, Germany's most powerful political leader today, Adolf Hitler, appears to be slipping towards eclipse with his moment in the sun having ended, end quote. This is where Hitler and the Nazis were at the end of 1932. However, the Nazis would have another chance. One closed-door meeting between Hitler and Papen would change their fortunes. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Points of No Return in History. Next week, we will continue our series, Hitler Becomes Chancellor and How It Almost Didn't Happen. I am grateful for three historians whose work I have consulted for this series. This includes The Third Reich, A History of Nazi Germany by Thomas Childers, Hitler, 1889 through 1936 by Ian Kershaw, and The Coming of the Third Reich by Richard J. Evans. Please rate and review the show. It really helps us out. Be on the lookout for the release of next week's episode on Wednesday, October 28th. In this episode, we will wrap up the series. Have a great week, everyone.